Latest radar surveillance detects a swarm of Cobra aircraft entering G.I. Joe's airspace. The enemy planes are carrying destructive cluster bombs and must be stopped. The state-of-the-art Ghost Striker X-16 combat jet takes to the skies as you listen to it fire up its realistic engine sounds. Jet actually projects enemy aircraft images for you to aim, target and shoot at. Other high-tech features include two wing-mounted missile launchers, electronic navigational and cockpit lights, machine gun sounds, retractable landing gear, and a pistol grip handle with machine gun firing button. This is episode 75 of G.I. Joburg, and as you no doubt can gather, Steven has new toys. <laughs> Yay! I'm joined by my faithful cohorts in G.I. Joe Madness. That's Paul. Special Missions Cujo, on standby. Wow, so excited, North America. I'm contemplating many things. Uh, G.I. Joe is one of them. Let's see. Let's see. I've been reading uh, G.I. Joe comics. I'm sure that we all have a little bit of uh, G.I. Joe fandom to uh, speak on. Mm. There is no set agenda for episode 75 of G.I. Joeberg. I, of course, have a very personal agenda, and that's to talk about my brand new jet brand new, brand old, whatever, the Ghost Striker X-16. Cujo's got comic books on his mind, and Paul, I think I'm smelling a rant coming. But uh, <laughs> let me not blow the whistle too soon. I'm going to get a little review out of out of the way for, for my new shit. YouTube review pending. But the Ghost Striker X-16 is perhaps an unsung hero of the later G.I. Joe vehicle pool. It is a very competent jet. It feels substantial. It has an immaculate sculpt. But let me just, in a nutshell, explain, perhaps explain away, the gimmick that might put people off it. It is wrapped around a torch, a flashlight, which you would use to project targets that are printed on a little uh, transparent wheel. And you would project them onto the walls or the floor in a darkened room, by firing a pull-down handle, which is in the rear of the jet, which does fold away unobtrusively, so, you know, it doesn't detract from the toy too much, by pulling the trigger eight times, you destroy the target, and it goes away for a few seconds, and then it pops back up, and the game starts again. The targets are quite varied and very cool, for the most part. There's a bog-standard targeting crosshairs with nothing in it, which you can use to gun down vehicles of your own. Or you can project a Cobra Hurricane, a Cobra Air Devil Glider, a Cobra Liquidator, a pair of Cobra Rattlers, and then the sixth one, which is kind of the weakest of the lot, which is called a Cobra Bomber. It is a generic jet. It does not resemble a condor, and that is a missed opportunity because that is Cobra's bomber, right? So the gimmick is cool and, as I say, unobtrusive. The worst part of it is that the two machine gun laser lights are in the places where the F-16, or X-16 in this case, would mount its drop tanks. 
So they've got these kind of flat fronts, which make them look like commercial airliner engines. If you have images of the aircraft to draw upon, you can understand what I'm talking about. But it's not like um, it's totally sold on the gimmick. You can kind of forget about it. It's not like Captain Power's XT-7 power jet, if you know what that is. It is basically like a jet that is also a Nintendo Entertainment System zapper gun, basically, that you'd use to interact with VHS cassettes of Captain Power episodes. <laughs> Guys, stop me if any of this is unclear. Uh, I'm with you, but at least with this toy, does it insult your kind of creativity at all to have all that on standby? The cool thing is the gimmick actually enhances your suspension of disbelief in a number of ways. And I'll tell you why. When you pull the handle down, you activate the jet engine sound. That jet engine sound will not stop playing unless you've left the toy alone for like four and a half minutes. So it's not like you've pressed a button on the new Millennium Falcon and the hyperdrive sound uh, effect starts up and only runs for like, like three seconds and then stops. This engine sound is persistent. So the whole time you're flying, you've got an engine sound effect. Not only that, but it's got navigation lights in the port and starboard wings. So you've got the little green and red flashing lights, which is, that's cool, man. I dig that. That's like adding to the realism of this toy. And thirdly, there's a light inside the cockpit, which is cool. Like, you know, when you're flying a night mission... You want to be able to see Ace lit up inside the cockpit. And let me tell you, it is an immaculately sculpted cockpit. Like, <laughs> I am a G.I. Joe jet aficionado over all else. Like, I love the vehicles more than the figures, and the jets are my thing. Uh, <laughs> so, trust me when I say it has got the best sculpted cockpit of any cockpit ever produced, ever, in G.I. Joe. I'm going to stake my name on that. And the cockpit is even further uh, made more realistic by the fact that the F-16 Fighting Falcon, on which the Ghost Striker X-16 is based, has a very deep recline to its seats. The seats are actually at 30 degrees instead of the standard 14 to 13 degree uh, angle. This is apparently to assist in um, pilots not blacking out or less likely to black out during high G maneuvers. Uh, by having a recline in the seat. Also, there's a side stick, which is sculpted into the aircraft, and the F-16 is side stick controlled instead of a central control stick, which would be between the pilot's legs. It's all there, man, even down to, like, the seat belt straps on the seats. The X-16 is a far cry from the Sky Striker, for instance, in terms of cockpit detail. Yes, the chairs aren't removable, but you've got absolutely everything else. And while I'm on the subject of comparing it to the Sky Striker, it has a far more believable cannon recess. You know, the, the Sky Striker had the cannon on the nose cone, like in front of the cockpit, which would basically suggest that the, the gun is like somehow occupying the same space as the pilot's legs. <laughs> and that's bullshit. Well, on the X-16... The cannon recess is beside the cockpit towards the rear on the left side, or the port side, 
yeah, port side. Um, and it is in exactly the right place, uh, according to the, the, the subject matter. I mean, that is where the F-16 Fighting Falcon has its gun, and that is where the Ghost Striker has its gun. And I love that. Okay, the gun doesn't have any other detailing. It doesn't function. There isn't a little 20mm Vulcan cannon inside there. But the fact that the sculpted recess is in the right place... It sure beats the Sky Striker, and for my money, beats the Conquest as well, which has these ridiculous, like, World War One biplane <laughs> machine gun um, sculptures in the front of the nose, which look kind of hackneyed and and kind of... They, they, they pull me out of it. Like, the Conquest has elements that make it look super high-tech, and then it has elements that just drop the ball. And a badly detailed cockpit... And crappy machine guns that just yeah snaps out my suspension of disbelief on that aircraft. So ah, man, Ghost Striker, beautiful, love it, love it, love it. To wrap up the pros, the decals are very good. They also suspend your disbelief well. I mean, they're sort of rescue stickers. They've got some nice printed um, M1X Vulcan 35 millimeter rotary load cartridge. Uh, stage compressor, expressor, multi-chamber. I mean, I don't know what any of these words mean, but the fact that <laughs> they are in mini print uh, on this aircraft is cool, man. And it's not sticker overkill. It's tastefully done. It's got the U.S. Air Force roundels. It's got the cool Ghost Strikers um, distinctive uh, sort of um, unit marking, which I always love. I love personalized stickers. Um, in the case of the Ghost Striker, it's a skull uh, set into a shield with wings, and the skull has a cool crosshairs on its forehead, which I suppose is, you know, it's, it's, it's a callback to the fact that this thing is basically a targeting crosshairs uh, with an aircraft wrapped around it, <laughs> thanks to the flashlight. On paper, that is something that just scares me. Like, I go, oh my word, it's just, it's a giant flashlight with a gun handle and it makes lots of sounds and things like that. And this must be one chubby bunny. <laughs> so, when I actually, when you said that you had bought it, I was like, okay, well, I was a little surprised. I was like, oh wow, he must have found it for really cheap. He must be in a place where he goes, well, there's a hole in my collection and I'm not going to fill that with a liquidator. So, um, so that's how I imagine that kind of went down. That's how it went down in my head. But uh, when I saw it, when you actually walked in with that vehicle, or when I grabbed it out of your car <laughs> and I started to fly it around, I was like, oh, wow, I totally get this. I mean, it's not just the child in me. It's the grown-up me totally gets this vehicle. Like, it was a lot of fun. And I, and I still think it's a lot of fun. Um, even now, I mean, it makes me kind of wonder if that Night Raven that they did for Rise of Cobra is actually that bad. But then, you know, with its handle, it all. But, you know, like, for example, the Ghost Striker has had me thinking along those lines. Like, hey, I wonder if that Night Raven really is that bad. A play feature with lights and sounds and things like that. Uh, I mean, when I stumbled upon that feature, I think you were out of the room and I, I kind of stumbled upon that feature. I was like, oh, okay, this is pretty cool. <laughs> nice. uh, I can switch out my targets and things. And then when you actually showed me the feature properly and, uh, you know, we just went to a more darkened corner of the room and I actually mm. saw that it had its own process. <laughs> yeah, ooh. When, it, when I realized it has its own just uh, plain, clean crosshairs, I was like, oh, my word, this is cool. Like, as a kid, I would have gone moggy for that because there's a Transformers figure that has a similar feature, although it doesn't project. Uh, I, I 
fail to think of his name right now, but it was from a Generation 2 line. It was a purple uh, rocket launcher, uh, purple and turquoise rocket launcher, and the white rocket, or missile, should I say, the white missile had like a, um, it was like a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? His name's Stalker. Uh, he was a predator from the 1991 yes. European exclusive uh, Decepticon team. Yeah, man. Yes. They were great. And he had uh, yeah, a lot of yeah. green missiles. <laughs> and they shot really well. They did, surprisingly. And that giant missile was like a viewfinder. And what you could do is you could take other jets, other seekers and things like that, and pop them, pop this missile onto them. And if you looked through, you would have a little image of a crosshair on one of the other Transformers in the line, like one of the Autobots. And... This feature kind of harkens back to me that to that for me because I really enjoyed that play feature on Stalker. Thought it was cool. So Turbo Masters, bro. That's what they were called. As a kid, I don't know why, but none of that Transformers stuff, none of the names or any of that stuff stuck with me when I was a kid. I like GI Joe names, no problem. Transformers, <laughs> no. <laughs> Wasn't it you, Paul, who was suggesting we do a Breakaway Transformers episode, or was it Cujo? No, it was me. Oh dear. Am I going to have to be a complete smartass on that episode? And just correcting you guys every five minutes. I am, right? I am. Well, you are. Why, why you put up with me in the first place, I will never know. Well, we'll just call you Teletron or something. <laughs> Very good. Nice. I, that's a Transformers reference right there. Well played. Um, before we kiss this beautiful new toy of mine, good night. I am going to get into its cons because I, you know, I've got to give a fair review and points off where points need to be taken off. There is no such thing as a perfect toy, right? Anyway, the cons are that the missiles, well, take this, take this how you'd like. I mean, I mentioned the lights that project sort of the machine gun effect are these flat front, they look like engine nacelles from, from a, a commercial airliner. You like could call them drop tanks if you wanted to kind of fudge, fudge it in your mind. Maybe you could even custom make little end caps that would round them off and make them look more like drop tanks. But, I mean, yeah, that's probably the most obtrusive part of the, the feature. Because as I say, the handle folds away. You can very easily pretend this is an F-16 or a Joe equivalent of an F-16 without uh, unleashing its play feature boner. <laughs> 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 the missiles are bright orange, okay? The test shots of this thing, they were red, but in true 90s fashion, they ramped up the neon. That is unfortunate. You could give them a lick of paint if it really bugs you. It doesn't bug me so much. I like the high visibility nature of my missiles because I do like to fire them off. And I like to be able to find them again in the bushes, wherever they've wound up. So that's cool. In the same sense that I've never lost any of my hammerheads, torpedoes, I'm kind of happy that this thing has high visibility uh, missiles and ordnance. And to its credit, they could have used the same sculpt, but they decided to give it two different kinds of missiles. So you've got two sidewinders and four what they call Phoenix missiles, but they're kind of slender. Oh, they, they, they have a Phoenix missiles uh, configuration, perhaps. But they're small, small missiles. They call them 
rapid-fire, high-tech Phoenix missiles. Whatever that means. <laughs> so they're basically MRAMs. Uh, normally, I would agree with you on the neon thing, uh, because some neon colors have kind of a, a, a... Or they have a horrible aesthetic. But those orange missiles actually suit the vehicle. Mm. It's odd. <laughs> say so, man. I, I think it would look just as good if they were black. The landing gear is perhaps the weakest link in the chain. Uh, oh, that's true. It's pitifully undersized, sadly because more um, involved landing gear would interrupt the electronics. So you ca- the nose wheel is right underneath the flashlight, and so it is a very short, pathetic little affair. I mean, it's it's like a kitty kitty cart uh, wheels, which is a pity because a lot of GI Joe and Cobra jets had rubber tires, they had functioning landing gear that, you know, you'd pull back a lever and the landing gear would retract. I would have almost preferred that over the flashlight. But, you know, this is a unique jet in G.I. Joe's arsenal, and I'm trying not to hate on it too much. But what is unforgivable, and this is not to do with the landing gear or the function of the electronics or anything. Well, I suppose it is. It's all related. But the empennage... The tail of the aircraft, the underside, has a fin that basically drags along the ground. It's there to, to, to stop the aircraft from rolling back on its, on its arse, basically, because the, with the batteries inside the trigger handle, and that's towards the rear of the aircraft, it's pretty heavy. It's got a very good heft to it, which is something I like but it's all towards the rear. So the whole thing kind of tips backwards unless you've got two heavy figures in the front, Um, which basically means you can't simulate takeoffs without the tail dragging. You can't Uh. have the aircraft rotate. As the nose wheel comes up, as airspeed increases and more airflow goes over the, the, the wing surfaces, the nose wheel will come up and the tail will drop in the case of the Ghost Striker, the tail can only drop about mm, three millimeters before you're scraping. Can I can I get that word again? Uh, em, em, empennage? The empennage, yes. Empennage. Today's word, empennage. Let's spell that. <laughs> I-M-P-E-R-N-A-G-E. Empennage. Empennage. There's no R. Anyway, whatever. Oh. Sorry, man. Stop me from being a snob. Hey. <laughs> Who said you don't learn stuff from listening to G.I. Joe podcasts? Mm. I mean, word Here's of the day. Here's some other so, sort of fun facts about F-16s and this very faithful representation in a Joe scale of an F-16. It has a one-piece canopy, which is designed for better visibility. The Tomcat did not have a one-piece canopy, and neither does uh, a, well, a great many um, uh, fighter jets that have been copied uh, by Joe and Cobra. It's very... Cool to note that the Rattler has an, a more accurate two-piece canopy. But in the case of the X-16, they got it right. And it's a very handsome piece of transparent plastic, if I say so myself. It's got a nice tint to it without it being red or green or blue or something outlandish. And if our listeners uh, would like to sort of experience an F-16 com- uh, a cockpit versus a F-14's cockpit, then you should check out Ace Combat and play the game in the cockpit view, as you should. Oh, man, um, don't and you remember you- Strike Commander? Now, there's an F-16 game. But uh, Ace Combat does such a good job of giving you a variety of aircraft to fly, and they have 
fairly accurate um, cockpit detail sort of you know models and things like that. So when you're sitting inside the the Tomcat, you really do feel like you've got blinders on because it is a quite a tight view area for you, you know. Mm. So yeah, so something. Um, and the F-16 does actually have a very nice cockpit. I mean, to sit in in the game, of course. I'm not. I've never sat in a real F-16. Because if I if I was allowed to be in a real F-16, a lot of people would probably be dead. Your forward vision over the nose cone is is impressive, as is your side vision, and rearward vision, in fact, because you're seated quite high on the aircraft's yes. uh, fuselage. My three final elements of praise: it's got a black tail, which harks back to the the intended Sky Striker design. You know, everyone got in '83 a gray tail but the artwork had a black tail so it's nice that there's a little callback to that um <laughs> that little frustration perhaps uh in that they've given you a black tail fin on your x16 the spring-loaded missile launchers get a pass from me because they are particularly powerful i'm surprised they passed through toy regulations back in 92 93 but they are they've got a, a really good tonk to them and ace it's a great figure. It's a realistic fighter pilot uniform, which is at odds with his original look. And it's got a flexible rubber mask that you can unclip from his helmet and have it sort of swing to the side, a la any uh, fighter jockey. You know, he's kind of pulled his, his mask off, is now kind of breathing the, the interior cockpit uh, atmosphere instead of his, his O2 line. But there is a back seat, so who the hell goes in there, man? Uh, <laughs> hmm. Oh. Trick question. <laughs> Ripcord makes a pretty good addition in the back there, and he can fit inside the cockpits with his included backpack uh, parachute gear, and he looks just like Ace, so they look like quite the pair, in fact. They do look very sexy in there. Yeah, I haven't held this yet. But, I mean, I, I see it. It has personality. It just doesn't do it for me. And I, I don't really... Yeah, I don't know. It, it doesn't It doesn't have that Joe element to it. Uh, just my personal opinion. I found it on eBay going for a song, which is a pity. Well, it's not a pity. It's, it's very fortunate to someone who's trying to get new Joe toys on the cheap. Um, so it was going for, I think, like $60, which I, I consider that to be quite cheap for a vintage G.I. Joe vehicle, even if it's vintage is 1993. What sealed the deal for me is that, yes, I love all the G.I. Joe jets. This is something that I've never encountered. But what is very important is that no one has shone any kind of light on this vehicle. There is not a YouTube review in existence yet. The best you can do is, is the commercial. Which is a very cool commercial. I would, I would suggest anyone who isn't sold on this vehicle yet, watch the commercial, feel some 90s love, and understand that as a child witnessing this commercial, I would have been like, I would have been sold big time, big time. Anyway, so I hope to put a review with all of these opinions and more and some stunning photography into the world. So watch this space, G.I. Joe Burgers. But I think we can call it uh, a day on the Phantom X, sorry, the Ghost Striker X-16. <laughs> can we not? Yeah, I, I think uh, I think let's save it for YouTube. <laughs> I've said a mouthful. 
and I swing the mic over to the next gentleman. What's on your mind, Paul? Ah, G.I. Joe, man. But like not in the in, in the cool way. It's like uh BBTS has their pre order for the um the new wave of G.I. Joe's, the new fiftieth anniversary wave. Uh just to sort of fill you in. That's the wave that has uh shooter and uh the female Cobra officer, uh the Saw Viper and uh the the big black dude and then the black dude in the gray armor and then the guy who's meant to be a woman called Stiletto. Anyway, uh, I am half and half. I mean, like, I I don't have a hairpin trigger on my wallet uh, like I used to. So I'm half and half on pulling the trigger on the two three-packs, most notably the one with the shooter action figure. Last year, that version of Paul uh, would have pretty much, you know, sold my parents into slavery or, you know, my loved ones into slavery uh, to be able to get myself uh, these toys this year, however, this poll is a little bit wiser, I think, I don't know, or just crazy, but I just, like, I don't feel that, that excitement for these toys, like, I, I, I'm excited about G.I. Joe, don't misunderstand me, it's just, as cool as, uh, these toys just aren't quite as cool as they should be, and, and something just feels like it's missing from them, uh, I mean, they're $76, okay, so it works out, I mean, in our monies, it works out to 180 bucks a figure, um, so all in all, not too bad. I mean, the the way I would score is I would score by getting a female Cobra officer. I'd score by getting Shooter. I'd score by getting a Soul Viper, and I would have a fairly updated Chuck, um, a fairly updated Outback. Sorry, it's just because of the Chuck Norris reference that I sometimes almost call him Chuckles. And that's that's of course the Outback that's got the uh, roadblock body, which for me is quite appealing because I kind of like having the updated version of that Outback. Yes, okay, I have to take another bat for the team. And then there's a Falcon in, like, Night Force kind of gear, which is not a bad thing, but, I mean, I've got Falcon from the Marauder set. So it's just, it feels like I'm spending a lot of money, and I'm only really getting three figures from there that I really want. Well, should I say three and a half because of Outback? But it's just, it's difficult for me to, to reconcile the purchase, for me to actually do it. And the thing that's pissing me off is that, if it had been the figure subscription service figures, like, for example, if Hasbro could release those figures, I would have bought them, like, no problem. Like, but those are figure subscription service exclusives, and I'm struggling to figure out what what the hell Hasbro is doing, because I cannot imagine that all of the figures that they're releasing now, um, in this 50th anniversary, have this great mass market appeal. Why release these toys? Why not release the figure subscription service why not make that the mainline release why not make those figures for us to consume i mean there's such a small uh, user base that is buying gi joe at the moment well why not make stuff more focused i and, and why relegate it to the figure subscription service and if the figure subscription service guys are listening what you guys are doing is is really good because you're trying to get these characters into our hands the problem is is that it's only really american hands that can benefit from it because I'm sorry, but the figure subscription service is overpriced. It's not expensive. It's overpriced. Uh, we've had a we've had a discussion about these figures before in saying that when they hit, they hit hard and they're great. But when they miss, they do miss. They eat a a blaster shot like porkins. You know what I mean? They they go all over the place, and it's just it's sad. But if that was a mainline Hasbro release, it would kind of be more forgivable. Except unless it's that shitty Rock Viper, because fuck that toy. 
<laughs> the point I'm trying to get at is why can't Hasbro make that stuff the mainline release if they're doing such low release numbers anyway? Why not just do that? I mean, the figure subscription service is making them. I'm sure they're not making nearly as many numbers as Hasbro could produce. They could put them in our hands and we would be fine. We would be happy with it. Now we've got to kind of go mainline Joes and figure subscription service Joes. And it's just kind of an effort. And it's, it's kind of putting a downer on the whole buying their toys thing at the moment. At least for me, it is. You raise an interesting point, Paul. Why is Hasbro dipping into the well of like Kindle Worlds when you know they didn't produce a scoop figure? Damn it! What is Rob supposed to do? No, well, that, but that's exactly it. Like I'm pretty sure Scoop is a figure subscription service figure because a lot of people want Scoop. Why do we not have version two Rock and Roll? Why? Why? Exactly. Why? Exactly. I don't know. It's it's fucking madness. They're inventing new characters that have no backstory instead of giving us toys that... I don't know, man. I don't know. Who's it for? I struggle with this as well. In many fandoms, uh, most of my life, actually. But, like, the the thing that, that that's grinding my gears about uh, Hasbro right now is... Uh, I remember reading an article because we have a subscription to the Collectors Club. So I get that magazine every month. I love seeing it in the mail. You guys are pretty good. But the problem is, like, they have a PR person for Hasbro and they're like, we're going to get the fans involved. We're going to make this, you know, uh, a fan's brand, so to speak. Except for they have no social media. They don't even have an email where you can reach anybody that might have the sway over the brand or anything. So I, I feel your pain, Paul. I mean, it's it's not just across the sea. I mean, that's why that's why GI Joe is not really thriving because of just the public relations and just. Uh, I'll say this: I love Twitter, but only one GI Joe fan that's not a friend has ever even acknowledged a GI Joe tweet, and that's like across the board. And I know how to hashtag, so we don't know where the community's at right now. Uh, for the guys who wrote those Kindle Worlds books, who are getting Stiletto made as a figure, that must be a dream come true. I think, or at least feel like it. I mean, that must be so cool to see something that you've written get turned into a figure. And, you know, I, I can understand where ha- where Hasbro is coming from in that regard, like, in the sense that, okay, that's quite cool, that's smart, because now you get, like, you've got a whole different sort of fan base or fan kind of attachment or love. Coming from that, so I, I kind of get that. The same goes for that other character whose name I just cannot think of right now. Uh, the one that's packed with Duke that nobody's really interested in buying anyway. But Tombstone. 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 There we go. You're welcome. Uh, Undertaker's finishing move. Like, I think it's cool, but the problem is it's not a cool figure. Like, I looked at that toy and I was just like, at first I thought it was a guy, and then I realized, oh, that's actually um, a female body. Uh, okay. Oh, shit. That's Firefly, dumbass. Oh, you're talking about Stiletto. Not Tombstone, <laughs> I'm talking about Stiletto, yeah. Gotcha. Um, that's, that's Helix. But yeah, like I... Look, bad, bad sculpts there we go. happen. Bad sculpts happen to good people. There's no reason why. But we just don't know who's out there. Like, who's listening? Not not to yeah. this podcast, but to, like, just the base. Because, I mean, I'll, I'll talk about when I, when I talk comics. Uh, G.I. Joe is a, a visual brand. The stories are cool, and you can revisit characters. But, like... Where's the one pack for the Cobra female officer with some, you know, gripping art on it? Exactly. 
we all mourn the loss of, of individuated card arts. Character-driven card arts. It was the card art that sold me on the figure, not the other way around. Yeah. No, that that's the thing. I, and it adds that sort of quality to, to the toy itself. I, I find myself asking, okay, well, if they're doing figure subscription service uh, Ninja Force Scarlet, for example, and we've got Scoop... Does that mean that Hasbro will now never scratch that itch? Like, they'll, they'll just be like, oh, a figure subscription service did it once, and, like, that's whatever, we'll never go there. Like, that's the problem that I'm having with figure subscription service, because it's kind of like, it, it's a weird situation, because if you look at Mattel, Mattel did that whole, I, I always talk about this, but Mattel had they did the He-Man line. Now they've done a new He-Man line, which is closer to the animated appearance. So, in other words, the figures have a stronger likeness to their animated counterparts, and they pull it off really well. If you guys don't know what I'm talking about, the best place I can think of is check out Dan's show. It's called Toy Galaxy. It's on YouTube. He's got a great sort of uh, comparison of the Skeletor and the He-Man. But the thing is, like, Mattel is not scared of retreading figures. They're, like, they're sort of doing it, and people are buying it, and they're going forward. And Hasbro's like... <laughs> Come on, Paul. What are you trying to say? Hasbro is the biggest uh, retreader of figures. I mean, how many Dukes were released just, you know, sporting a different head or a different color scheme? Or like, you know, this one is accurate to the comic book. This one's accurate to that episode of the cartoon. This one has a jetpack like he was in the opening sequence of G.I. Joe the movie. Like, what do you mean? That That is actually part of what I mean. Like, we get like 50,000 re-releases. Like, ladies and gentlemen, if you've never gotten the Ultimate Snake Eyes in modern era form... He is now available again for you to purchase in a two-pack with Storm Shadow. Again. But those are slots that could have been used for Scoop and Ninja Force Scarlet. And now that figure subscription service has done Scoop and Ninja Force Scarlet, will Hasbro retread those figures? Because it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't seem like they're going to do that. It's like they retread odd stuff and they do really shitty repaint re-releases, but they don't actually re-release figures that people really want or enough of the figures that people really want. I'm pretty sure that they are modern era figures. I mean, Alpine, there's a very good idea. They re-released Alpine after the box set that they did long ago. He sold out. So are we going to see another five Alpines again, or or what's the story? It's just, they're so difficult to read. It's so difficult to, like, get invested in the brand and feel like you're going to get all the characters you want, you know? At the risk of sounding like sour grapes and all that, like we'll we'll throw our social medias down. Like, uh, we're I mean we're active creators in the community. How how do people connect within the GI Joe community? Because I I know that we have tons of friends that are in Joburg all the time, and they are friends all over the world. So your move, Hasbro, uh, stop making shitty movies. I I don't want to keep saying negative things, but I mean the comics are good, which I'll talk about yeah. shortly. I don't think any company tries to make shit. Like, I don't think Hasbro sits there and goes, hey, today we're going to make shitty stuff. I think they're definitely trying to solve problems within their their range. I well, just... They don't know what G.I. Joe is, dude. That's, yeah, that's well, my thing is, is just that... at marketing people that don't understand what G.I. Joe is. Boys, I think you are both speaking in cross-purposes, I fear. With Paul, what I keep getting is that the... 
the mainline G.I. Joe modern era figures lack some oomph. There's some excitement factor missing from these figures. Probably got to do with presentation more than anything else. And that, that I'm going to link it back to a point you made, Cooj, that like, no card art. So how are we being sold the mythology of these characters if they're in a pack with two other figures? You're just getting plastic people. That's what it comes down to. Hasbro used to be brilliant at fooling us into believing that what we held in our hands was not just a plastic man with plastic guns and a plastic backpack, but a haggard, grizzled warrior with an involved backstory on the back, complete with his birthplace, his real name, a little anecdote from a, a comrade in arms or an enemy. Like, they used to be so good at the suspension of disbelief. Now they're just peddling figures and peddling rehash figures, retooled figures. Like, that is why you fail to get excited about these toys. Not because they're bad toys. Let me make it very clear that the G.I. Joe modern era figurines are the best figures in their scale ever produced ever. Articulation, sculpt, detail, accessories, they are beautiful. But they don't sell themselves well enough. And Cujo, you speak about Hasbro's marketing presence not being up to snuff. And maybe that's the key. Maybe that's exactly what they need. They need someone to tell them, hey guys, this is what made G.I. Joe great. Let's commission some artwork. Or maybe they should just like focus on selling the shit to the right people instead of trying to sell it to kids. <laughs> like it, it sounds ridiculous to say this. I mean, we're at, we we grown men. We we collect figures. Okay, cool. No kid gives a shit about GI Joe right now. Why try to sell them on it? Just sell it to us. Just sell it to the, your your market. That's why I keep bringing Mattel up. Mattel's not trying to sell He Man to kids. Mattel knows. Uh, kids don't want to buy He-Man. Mattel knows that adults want to buy He-Man. Paul, there's the overlap, man. The G.I. Joe Collectors Club, that is the Matty Collector of the G.I. Joe world. They are making the figures you want. They are making Tiger Force Outback, baby. They made it. It's been made. <laughs> Hell yeah. They, they have, and they made it out of most of Monkey Wrench's parts. But anyway. Um, oh, for like, shame. Really? Yeah. Dude, That's actually why I dropped my pre-order. Because I looked at those legs and those arms and I was like, oh, fuck no. But coming back to that now with the Matty argument, the thing is, it's not Hasbro's figure subscription service. It's G.I. Joe's figure subscription, uh, G.I. Joe Collectors Club. It's their figure subscription service. And if it was Hasbro, then it would be different because then they would have a stronger, you know, sort of backing with the figures. Bigger runs with lower price points. That's what you're after, man. Do you want to change the direction a little bit? I know, you're just itching, Cooch. I saved you for last, well, just so you could build up those those juices, well, man. This, no, I mean, honestly, like, Let it I, feel <laughs> no, I feel Paul's pain just because I think you're speaking for everybody. I don't think you're out of line. I mean, the game has changed. Uh, Hasbro, are you going to figure changed. it out, or are you going to die? I mean, it's just that the community, people are advertisements now. Like, get behind your talent. Start retweeting and reposting people that actually like your stuff. That's not much. much. 
that's that's called community. So Dude, and I fully agree. Sorry. Oh, that's all. No, I mean, I, brother, I know, and I just don't want us to get consumed by the flames. Because, dude, I, I get it. I know. Kujo, save us. Save us from the flames, brother. Quickly, before we jump out of the fire, you all know right. what is another toy line that is very popular, that is in a lot of trouble due to having bad figures right now and has a very upset figure collecting community? Is the Star Wars toy collectors. They're also not happy. They're also being treated like shit by Hasbro. And the thing is, they've got a bigger voice than the Joe, Joe guys, so they're starting to complain. That's why I know about it, because I hear about it a lot on the net. I hear a lot of people complaining. I see Black Series figures being knocked down a peg by Japanese versions of Star Wars figures and things like that. It's, it's bad, okay? Hasbro needs to wake up. The Transformers line that Hasbro is doing, the only reason that the Transformers are doing well, and I, I'm, I wouldn't say it's the only reason, but to me is that Transformers are still made in Japan, okay? It's still a Japanese toy line. And the thing is, in Japan, it's still going strong, and they still have the right budget, and they're still creating the right stuff. So Hasbro is just basically repacking Japanese figures there. So that's why you don't get too many Transformers fans complaining as much, but there was a stage with the Combiner Wars and pre-Combiner Wars, and then some of the stuff that's being released now I know is from Hasbro America, not from Takara in Japan, like the the animated uh, sort of super animated series transformer stuff right now which is quite average but you can see the distinction between that and say the headmaster stuff or the titan line for example so yeah so star wars is treating being treated badly gi joe is being treated badly transformers is still sort of going it's just weird i think hasbro needs to to like you said needs to start putting an ear on the ground and listening and and being involved in their social media presence and being involved with their fan communities. At the very least, um, Hasbro is savvy enough to have saved G.I. Joe from five points of articulation nonsense. (laughs) Thankfully. They they know what makes G.I. Joe the top dog. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Let's celebrate the small victory. They could have. We started getting those shitty vehicle drivers. Oh, my word, yes. Started losing the double-jointed knees. It was like the slippery slope, but thankfully, crisis averted. But we, there's this uh, incredible uh, series of books that's being done about how the G.I. Joe figures were made. Um, they're currently doing a Kickstarter now for Volume 3. If you take the time and you just check out the video and you see some of the interviews with guys that were involved, and you get like a sort of a sincerity from those guys, and you see how much they love the brand. And what I want to say is that I don't hate Hasbro, I just would like Hasbro to also love their brand, or at least to show us that they love our love the brand, because if they love it and they're excited about it, then we can also then it's easier for us to get excited about it. Then we can all be happy and get cool shit. Uh, so Hasbro, I don't hate you. I just I'm confused by you. <laughs> well, dude, the whole world is consumed right now. Like that's just the age we live in. Consumed by flames. So barbecue, step on up to the plate with your axe and your teeny tiny little retardant foam squirter. Yeah, yeah. And save us from the flame war, man. By the size of his foam squirter. (laughs) Save us, buddy. I have no opinion on Hasbro. I I, I haven't really looked at them close enough. But, dude, I I feel you. Um, uh, And and honestly, like, I wasn't going to talk about this, but since you steered it that direction... Um, 
Uh, some of you know uh, I'm also involved in another podcast, uh, which uh, we'll throw we'll throw a link in the show notes. I went to uh, Long Beach Comic Con uh, a few weeks ago now, and I saw a few weeks out that uh, Morgan Lofting, the voice of Baroness, was going to be there, as well as Arthur uh, Barnhart. I, I don't, I'm a, I'm butchered that. Um, yeah. That might be it. He was there, as well as the the actor that played Duke, who I had no interest in speaking with, and uh, Bell. who who was very classy, um, by the way, uh, yeah. and Zartan, I think his name is Zach Hoffman. So all all four of those voice actors were there, and I, I'm not like a polished interviewer, so I, I was a little um, out of my element. But I, I rolled up, and they had handlers and stuff like that. And I just said, uh, you know, I do a couple uh, G.I. Joe podcasts. Uh, I'd love to interview a few of your folks, uh, you know, before the weekend's up. So it played out pretty well. Um, I- I'm not the smallest of individuals, so they were kind of they, they kind of eyeballed me initially. But I did start talking to Morgan Lofting and she I mean, she's a she's actually back in the acting game, I, I guess. But. You know, I was trying to lead the conversation into Joe because that's kind of, you know, where, where I was coming from. And it, it was it was more it was more of a job to them, I think, collectively. She she was great. And, and you'll hear that if you if you follow that link. But the, the true story, I think, came from when I met Arthur, the guy that played Destro. I, uh, I walked up and I, he was like, who are you? And I'm like, oh, I, I'm with a podcast. And he's like, no, who are you? And he looked right at me and I was like, whoa, I, I don't get sized up that much. And when he shook my hand, I was shaking the hand of like a, uh, somebody who had lived. So that night, since it's a two day affair, I went home and I did some research. And uh, it turns out that that guy was like in the trenches with Malcolm X on the East Coast back in the race wars back in the day and was thrown in jail for draft dodging for that war ended up becoming like one of the heads of the like gangs in prison and, and spent five months, I think of his five year prison sentence in solitary because of how dangerous his mind was. And he he had some quotes, like there was some stuff on the page that you could tell this dude was, was a real one, you know? So I went back the next day and I was like, I'm about to have one of the conversations of my life. And he's like, oh, it's you again. And I'm like, yeah. And his handlers walked up and uh, they were like, we're not going to let him do any interviews today. And I'm like, really? I'm like, that guy's got a story to tell. And they're like, yeah, we know a great story, but we have him doing other things today. And I was like, okay. So I kind of just watched for a bit. They had him signing comic book covers. Mm. And that that struck me as weird because that that kind of is a microcosm of what you're talking about, Paul. That like mm-hmm. the fan base is older, it's mature, like the brand can grow with them. And that's actually where the money's at now. But they're yep. trying to kind of like make associations where there are none. Like, why is he signing a comic book? He's a voice actor. Yep. Now, I'm not going to call it a missed opportunity. Those guys were very professional. Um, they did a great job. And, and honestly, like I ended up having a conversation with Zach Hoffman. It was pretty mm-hmm. rad, too. So the Joe brand is alive. It's just some weird decisions. That's all. I, I would have loved to have talked to Arthur and hopefully our paths cross. 
it just so happened that that was his first convention too. So that was the first time he had felt that kind of love from the fans. So that was kind of unique. So I'm not hating on the handlers. It just felt, it, it was strange to see him like focusing in, in a certain place that didn't really make sense. Yeah, no, I get it. It's like, um, we had, uh, we had an, a comic artist come here to South Africa. I mean, we've had a few, uh, Jeff Johns and stuff like that, but, uh, one that I was sort of involved with was a guy called Riley Brown, and he's a very, very cool artist. In fact, um, most notably, he did uh, he worked on Cable and Deadpool, uh, which was a very famous uh, Cable and Deadpool comic book. And uh, when he was here and he was doing signings, you know, people were like bringing him. Okay, people were bringing him his comics, which was cool because what we what the shop had done is uh, we had actually gotten a whole bunch of the comics that he had worked on, and then made them available for people to buy so that they could have them signed by him, which is, you know, that's a smart thing to do. Rather get the artist to sign a book that he's worked on. But I mean, people were bringing him like Deadpool comics, but like done by like um, Rob Liefeld and stuff. And, you know, he would like say to them, like, I mean, I was there at the table with him sometimes and he would like say, guys, I didn't work on this. This is, you know, Liefeld and this is like whoever else. And people were just like, uh, no, but you, can you just, like, just sign it? And then I thought, like, oh, God, this is just, like, dwarf South Africans. They just fucking don't know anything. And it turns out, no, it's actually like that even in America, because uh, my buddy went over there to SDCC, and I don't want to mention names. Oh, mention names. Come on. He's done two DC covers, and the one is a Power Girl cover. And also, people, like you said, it was so weird. People were coming up to him with, like, Power Girl issues, that were like done by Adam Hughes, with the covers done by Adam Hughes and stuff like that, and wanting him to sign them. And then he was like, no, <laughs> you know, I don't want to sign my name on other people's work, you know, on other people's books and things like that. And then, you know, and he was like, it's just so odd. Like, and I said, yeah, that's what happened to Riley when Riley was here. And he's like, really? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, it's so weird. And I said to him, like, I thought it was just a South African thing. And he's like, no. Americans are doing it too. It's weird. Well, like, specifically the case that Cujo mentions about a voice actor being asked to sign a comic book. In that case, it's the character that is the common thread. Mm. Yeah. So it's you know it's not like he penned the issue or yeah. was responsible for the art or you know, he he is representative of that character. And let's face it, not many of us have actual original animation cells lying around to uh, to have signatures added to. So, I mean, uh, it's, it's a different kettle of fish, I think. I, I don't think it's unacceptable to have well, him signing a Marvel comic book, because the Sunbow cartoon was a Marvel production as well. I mean, the, the lines are a little bit more blurred than, like, giving the wrong comic book artist an issue <laughs> to sign. I mean, like, that's... That's unforgivable. I think that's just stupid. Fanboys should know better. One no They should know better because if somebody signs your comic book, if, for example, you've got a G.I. Joe issue and it's been penned by Larry Harmer and the art was done by, like, Herb Trump and you're at a convention and Larry Harmer and Herb Trump are there and they sign Trimpy. your issue, Trimpy, <laughs> that enhances the value of the book. Not... Not it. I mean, if you're a dick and you want to resell it, you're fine. But I mean, it enhances the value. It's like, hey, this is proof of my meeting them. This was like, this was like, every time I look at this comic, I can think of that really cool time when I met these two gentlemen and they signed my comic book. 
Um, obviously, for most people getting comic books signed, it is about the resale value. But now, if you take that same fucking issue and you take it to the voice actor who did Duke, or if you take it to Michael Bell and he signs it, essentially, although Michael Bell's signature is worth something because the man is a very well-known and very well-respected voice actor, you're actually devaluing the comic book. He was on the Smurfs. Yeah. He's he was a mustache. That's all. Um, what were you no, going to say, Gooch? <laughs> I was just going to say, one positive thing that came from all that is, is well, talking to all those awesome people, but also I learned that Baroness, at least in Morgan Lofting's opinion, is a night owl, not an early riser. But, I mean, it's probably obvious, but, you know, now it's confirmed. <laughs> cool, man. Very good. Um, but I do. Let me. T- you want to talk comics for a minute? Oh, I'll give you a, a hot minute, brother. Take it away. All right. I was doing a reread of the original Marvel uh, GI Joe line. I think I mentioned that. And you know what? I got to the the storyline where where Firefly comes back in Vogue after the freighter, and he he's rocking that new outfit. How much oh, rage yeah. did that show you, gentlemen? The green one. Uh, yeah. Cujo, um, the only person yeah. raging at this point will be you, because I'm about to confess to the fact that that is Firefly for me. E2, Brute. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in trouble now. No, dude, that was the version of Firefly that I owned first. And I'm sorry, man, I have to plead ignorance and plead third world, but I was not aware of Firefly's initial presentation. As the cool, sneaky saboteur, he was the guy in neon green who was kicking ass with the Ninja Force. That was uh, my Firefly. Look, I'll say this, because if, if wow. you want to talk about Tombstones, that's where I stopped reading the Marvel line. Mm. Yeah, what's that crazy maneuver he pulls? He like gets on top of a pyramid of ninjas uh, <laughs> who all have their swords drawn, and they like do some kind of whirlwind motherfucking what? Power Rangers bullshit. I mean, it was like watching Battle of the Planets. The set piece where he kind of, like, uh, subdues them in that foggy forest, I liked that. That was a Mm -hmm. cool set piece, but everything around that storyline was just clumsy. So I stopped reading that. I've I've since moved on to the IDW reset uh, that started with the Chuckles uh, storyline. So if if you loved that series, let's talk. G.I. Joe Cobra. Yeah, at 86 Cujo on Twitter. So, yeah, let's talk about that. You wanted to adapt it to a TV show, man. I'm not a prophet, but I understand the market, and that's where the market is. Turn, turn that storyline into a uh, AMC TV show. It's a tight storyline, not much budget. Mm-hmm. You got a winner. If you can make a shit show like The Walking Dead float, you can make G.I. Joe Cobra float. Please, disclaimer... The Walking Dead comic is not bad. It's actually a good comic. I just think the TV show is a shit show. But, yeah, if you can make that work, then you can make G.I. Joe Cobra work on screen. No problem. What always thrilled me with G.I. Joe Cobra is the presentation of the characters. They weren't afraid in sketching these characters using bold, bold lines. I mean, Crystal Ball, Crocmaster, Serpentor, the twins, or twin... Wasn't the one deceased? Well, the one's been murdered, yeah. Well, let's, hey, let's not ahead, gentlemen. They, um, they are very vividly drawn, but they do tap into the zaniness of their 80s 
presentations. And that's um, perfect. The stories write themselves yeah. if you just nail the characters. And there's so much richness to draw on, which is why it appalls me that the G.I. Joe movie outings were as so far off their source material as they were. It's really shocking, man. G.I. Joe Cobra played it pretty tight to the best. I mean, it's not that outlandish. I mean, that's why they went with characters like Scoop and Chuckles so they could keep it at a street level. But, yep. I mean, dude, if, if you're talking about Serpentor as a new age guru, might be a cult leader, and then you've got uh, Crystal Ball who basically has like these uh, silver spikes on all of his fingers and talks in riddles. Dude. I oh, fucking you cuckoo. Got, I love it. You got to pick that book up. All his scenes made my stomach go tight. I mean, yes, like, he had such a a sinister and otherworldly way of reading people. It's like, fuck, this guy's cover is good. Or what was it? It was the female agent. There's some female sort of double agent that I think G.I. Joe had. Yeah, let's not mention names. Sorry, man. Okay, well, I don't want to get into too many details, but no, you're Crystal good. Ball's um, function as a kind of a, a like a. a mystic interrogator like wow man every, every time he was on a panel I kind of tensed up I was like shit like as good as your cover is this guy sees right through it you are in shit now my dear I don't know how far along the series you are you guys are but I mean there's a great battle between Chuckles and Croc Mass oh, I'm sorry Chuckles and uh, Big Boa in the Cobra Mess Hall that, yeah. that was pretty intense. And also later in the storyline, which I don't think you gentlemen are there yet, uh, Snake Eyes gets uh, tricked into a an isolated combat against uh, Slice and Dice. That's being commentated Running Man style. It's a sick fight, dude. I think you've just sold us on that book, man. Yeah. yeah. It's time. It's time, gentlemen. Let's do it. Pay attention, Hasbro. Pay attention. <laughs> This is the shit people want. I I kind of wanted to sort of co- contradict you on the the TV adaptation thing, Cujo, but I don't think I am because yes, a, a, a budget-minded presentation of GI Joe would take on that format of like a deep in cover, suspenseful series that was less focused on explosions and vehicle action. And more focused on the psychological uh, minefield of being like a, well, of being Chuckles. What a fantastic well, protagonist. We, dude, we just went through an era where like robots turned into vehicles and blew up stuff on screen. I think people are ready for like a more subtler uh, type story, especially now that everybody is into conspiracies, etc. Uh, because that's, you know. An, that's cool now. <laughs> well, it's not cool. It's just society and consciousness is grown up like we're, we're not children anymore we're, we're past that that curtain so it's it's time to take those characters and tell stories that are relevant again mm, yeah well this is my caveat All right. i can never shake the desire to play the the nostalgia note as hard as possible while there has been a focus on modernizing G.I. Joe, making them fit in with special forces teams around the world in current 
conflict today and updating the whole line, I think we're missing the point slightly that G.I. Joe was a product of the 80s and that's where it works best. I would love a retro approach that treated G.I. Joe as an 80s property and gave it, and I mean, we've spoken about this as well, this is kind of my fanboy wet dream, to, to, to play it out in the era that it's supposed to be set in. You know, the late Cold War, Cobra are a very, you know, blue shirt wearing, like, identifiable global threat emerging, you know, a new power, and getting the vehicles and the looks of the characters right. Even the hokey ones, like the shirtless ninjas with no footwear. I mean, like, if you have the balls to do it in the spirit of a 1980s toy line, ah, oh, what fun we could have watching this show. Like, I swear, every new reveal would have me explode through the roof even further. <laughs> I mean, like, Family show. it's the fucking Havoc. Oh, my God, it's a Havoc. They made a Havoc. <laughs> They've got cross-country in the driver's seat on top playing Western music at full blast while he fires off missiles. I mean, like, that would blow my brain. Dude, I mean, we can still learn stuff from the 80s. I mean, we can still learn a lot. And sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt that Havoc uh, thing. <laughs> it's all Havoc. Gents, I've thoroughly enjoyed this session, uh, this impromptu session. Uh, does anyone have anything they want to add before we sign off? So, somebody throw some holy water on Paul. <laughs> <I'm just joking>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, persona non grata. Paul, Paul, Paul. You need to redeem yourself, brother. It's All I'm saying, guys, I'm pr- probably going to buy that fucking shooter and that freaking cobra, female cobra officer and then, <laughs> by some twist of fate, enjoy the Soul Viper more. But either way... Could I'm you often gonna... shun the toys in favor of the other, you know, the other avenues of GI Joe media, like you know, cartoons, movies? What am I saying? No, you're you're a comic book guy. That's what you do. But might you pick up these figures if you see them in the wild? Well, we just got the uh, Transformer. Uh, my roommate picked up the Transformer uh, GI Joe. I think Sky Striker slash his tank set. From, uh, uh, that's a cool set. Uh, we haven't we haven't opened it yet, but it's the, the one jet with could... the jet fire. Oh no, this is the earlier one. Uh, this is the one that was uh, Starscream. Was it? That sounds right. I, I'm not looking at it at the moment. Hmm. Um, no, I, I'm down with the toys. I, I like an intriguing character. Like I'm with Paul. Shooter is one of the most interesting characters I've seen in years. Also, Cobra female officer because I just want to put her right next to Silverface. You know. Like, those two look like they should be standing next to each other. Yeah. Okay, well, then I think that answers my question, dude. If you see them, buy them, and buy extras for your buddies down under. <laughs> yeah, yes. well, I, I, I'm, I'm not about using platforms. Hasbro, Collector's Club, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's, let's start talking. It's time. I mean, there's no wall. If you think there's a wall, that's, that's why you're lagging. Hey, buddy, you said that they didn't have an email address. <laughs> well, dude, they had that article where the guy was like, we're about social media and connecting with our fans, and there was no friggin' link on it. Yeah, so. <laughs> Face, palm. <laughs> well, you're just kind of like, huh, huh, maybe I'll go back to watching more politics. <laughs> I- I'm not feeling a downer out of Paul. Dude, that's that's just truth. 
I mean, it's yeah. is overpriced, and it's it's really kind of unattainable for the fans that want it right now. Well, I'm going to end on an absolute upper, because why? It's nightfall in Africa, and it's time for the Ghost Striker X-16 to take the skies. And it's raining! Doesn't that sound like Top Gun? Oh, that's something I gotta say. The Ghost Striker is a lot easier to land than an 8-bit jet. <laughs> but it sounds exactly the same. God bless the early exactly. 90s. <laughs> this has been episode 75 of G.I. Joburg. The episode with no topic. <laughs> Hope you uh, catch us for episode 76. And don't forget, if you like what we do, we like hearing from you. And to that end, the YouTube love, the podcast love that we find on the Facebook uh, group, uh, the Twitter love, it's just wonderful hearing from uh, the people that actually enjoy these little fireside chats. So thank you. Once again, always, thank you for reaching out to us. Peace. Looking forward to meeting you all in person. Creep. (laughs) Goodbye.